Lord, we just, again, set our eyes on you. Invite you to communicate to each one of us, individually and corporately. God, I pray that uh, you would just now fill these words, inhabit these words. Okay, so the third question. Anybody here that was not here for the first half? Okay. Uh, third question. What hinders or what traps you uh, in pursuing what God has for you? And my favorite verse for this comes out of the book of Hebrews. Uh, towards the end of your Bible, if you're using that. Chapter 12. We don't exactly know who the author is. It might be Paul. Uh, there's a lot of different ideas. Starting with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's in reference to chapter 11 in which uh, there's just a listing of these incredible people who walked by faith. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What I really want to look at is, is uh, these first two verses here. Uh, in view of those who have gone before us with such great faith, uh, he says, let us hurl off, let us cast off as far as we can uh, ev everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now picture yourself running, running a long-distance marathon race, okay? But there are two elements here, not just one, there's two. Everything that hinders and the sin or sins that so easily entangle or ensnare us. Obviously, being hindered or being entangled are not good things if we're running a race. Notice also that this is a race marked out. For us, I live in a town where we do a lot of marathoning, and so uh, when there's there's long runs, uh, particularly where the roads are involved, they they'll come out and they'll paint the road so you know which course you're on. You know you got to follow that course. There is a course marked out by the Lord for each one of us individually. There is a course marked out for this church. Every church has a, a vision and a course. That, is, that the Lord gives them in their community. But I'm intrigued by the fact that there are two, there's two things that can mess us up. One is hindrance, one is sin. What is the hindrances? Well, for example, I already talked about success can be a hindrance. It can hinder us from going the 
the bend that now Jesus has for us. Because we're like, hey, I was doing really good at this stretch. And, well, this looks a little tougher over here. But, well, that's what's marked out for you. So don't let the success keep you wanting to keep going on this road. You're going to go over here now. We can have fears from the past. I was greatly intrigued by the, the word that came earlier this morning of, uh, of a little boy whose head was hung in shame. I actually had to respond to that because there was a shameful time in my life as a little boy. And, uh, and God has ministered to me in that arena, but uh, there was even more. Uh, God gave me visual uh, sights of, of what he was doing in my life right there. And it just really ministered to me. So we can have fears from the past that hinder us, that keep us back from moving forward, that shame us, that grieve us. By the way, the enemy loves to time travel with us. He will try to take us to our past where we were ashamed of, uh, we regret, and he'll just really point that stuff out and say, yeah, look at what you did there, and you did that there, and you did that there. But we can't time travel. We can't go back to that. But our God can. So in Christ, we can go back to that and say, God, forgive me for this. Or lift off the shame from me. The enemy loves to take us there. Or the enemy will love to take us ahead, too. Hey, you got that dentist appointment on Thursday. Wake you up in the middle of the night with these ones, doesn't he? You know, this has gone past now, but April 15th is coming. You got enough money? Don't you love the IRS? You know, and on and on. I mean, whatever fear that he can hook us into, and shoot, it's Saturday night, and he's talking about Thursday. Now, you can't go there. There's nothing you can do about that yet. But he wants to take your mind there and captivate you in that. But God is there as well. He is, there's no time refrain on God. He's timeless. It's a hard to grasp, but it's true. So we can go and say, Lord, you know, I give you this whole dentist appointment or whatever it is that we're concerned about. I'm going to trust it's in your hands and you'll be with me when I go and deal with this. So sometimes uh, those kinds of fears can hinder us. It's not really a sin, but it's, it's something that bogs us down. Um, time wasters. We've got tons of time wasters that the enemy dangles out in front of us. You know, how about this? How about watching this film? You've already seen it three times. How about again? It was really good. Or, you know, maybe, maybe it's uh, sports events. Or maybe, and, and guys, I'm not wanting to, you know, just really butcher you with this. But, but consider it. What are some of the things? I mean, I have this thing with spider solitaire on my computer. I love to play it. And I lose and lose. And lose. It's like, no, i got to win on one of these, you know. And before I know it, 45 minutes has gone by. What could I have used that 45 minutes for, you know? So is, is that sin? I don't think it is, but it sure is a hindrance. Um, so take a look at what things you use as escapes. Or, uh, you know, I think this is more for women, but Facebooking, oh, my gosh. Uh, and some of you guys are into that. Such trivial relationship. The enemy is lying to us. He's, we think we have relationship with, you know, I got 582 friends, man. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, so another one that can be a hindrance, 
uh, particularly for those of us in ministry, and frankly, we are all called in, um, is expectations of other people. Pastors get this one big time. And, 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 and this is probably more sin. Um, I kind of was raised to be a people pleaser. Uh, my mom really endorsed that into me. And I've forgiven her for it. But I've really had to break loose of that one. Um, because if you're a pastor and you got more than 10 people, you got 10 people's expectations on you, man. Because this one came from a Baptist church and they want you to preach the word. And this one came from Pentecostal. And if you don't dance during worship, I don't know about this church. And on and on. And the longer you're with that church, the more you know these people. If you're a relational guy like me, man, you just, I mean, I, okay, if I preach on this, these guys over here, this one over here. And I, you know, and the other night, you know, I talked about, uh, you know, if, you're, if your security is in guns, and I know some of you guys are packing. And I'm like, you know, I'm not, I wasn't trying to blast you with that one, but it's like, don't put the, the forever tomorrows into the fact I've got a case full of, of major weapons. Because, buddy, when that day comes, we better just be tight together. Because that stuff's not going to protect us. And if we go down as martyrs, we're the first to rise. That's what the writing says. I'm a shepherd. I'm going to die with a flock. That's my commitment. So people-pleasing or expectations of people, that can get in the way. It can be a hindrance for us running the course. Obviously, the second category, sins that so easily entangle you. Satan is brilliant to a point. He has a set of flashcards. And he'll start playing them in front of you. And he watches your eyes. And as soon as he sees that go up, he sees your eyes sparkle a little bit, he goes, oh, you like that one. Okay, we'll set that one aside. We'll keep on going. Because he wants at least a half a dozen to work with you on. And whenever he wants to, he's going to tempt you with that one. Might be pornography, might be drugs, might be uh, whatever. Pornography, I'm, I'm a fly fisherman, okay? So um, and I'm not a great fly fisherman compared to a lot of guys that fish the river that I own a portion of. But uh, I'm out there and I catch trout. And, and, you know, the deal with fly fishing is you want to have a fly on there that simulates the real thing. But the difference between it and the real thing is there's a hook on it. And Satan is a great fisherman. And he'll cast that fly out to you, that picture of whatever it is, whatever hair color you like, whatever style of body you like. And you look at it and go, ooh. And he's got you. And he'll reel you in. We crave what we eat. We think it's the reverse. We think craving causes us to eat. But we, we crave what we eat. As soon as we begin to eat of that, guys, we'll crave it more. Been there. Been freed of it many, many years ago. Uh, in my single years, I, I was, um, particularly as a result of my wife leaving me for another man, 
Uh, I had very short relationships with women. They were always physical. Um, and then I'd leave. So sexual attraction is a powerful thing with me. So I know better. So I, I, I am, I will not entangle with pornography. I have a site on my computer my wife can monitor. I have accountability friends during ministry. There were three times in which there was a temptation relationship that began very little, but like just coupled counseling sessions or where I had to realize, ah, this has got to end. And I would, number one, go to my accountability partner guy and say, this is what's up. Uh, one time it was a mission trip, and this gal even gives me, she's from another country, she gives me her, her phone number. And uh, that went to him. So I'm confessing this to you guys, because this is a real deal. And this will kill, this will absolutely derail you. And I know some of you in a crowd this size, there's some of you guys that struggle with this. And you need to get real, and you need to get real before the Lord, and you can get unhooked. Don't listen to the lie that you can't get unhooked. You can. So whatever flashcards that catch your eye, whatever it is, uh, identify it and guard yourself against it. Because as we read in uh, John 10.10 at the very beginning, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his MO. He wants to wipe us out. He can't get God. We are the most precious things to God. And we're not things, but I mean, you know what I'm saying. We are the gold of God's eyes. If he can get us, he's won something against God. That's what drives him. So the sins that so easily entangles us can be sins that we do, or they can be sins that were done to us, and we have not yet either forgiven or been healed, been made whole of those sins. I want to really encourage you that uh, Danny Myers is giving a, uh, a conference in a few weeks on the gospel of wholeness. It is a great teaching. Uh, I've, I've listened to it, I've been ministered through it, and I actually use it as a ministry counseling tool. Um, so uh, things that have been done to us can hook us, can pull us, entangle us, uh, to the point that we do not carry out the mission that God has for us, the course. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, throw them out. Don't entertain them. Get rid of them. What's the best ways of doing that? Here's a practical one. Um, confess it, first of all, to God, yourself. Let him forgive you. But then confess to your brothers. James 5.16. Let's go there. I think I have it memorized, but you guys can look it up. James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another. This is a major reason for having Barnabases in your life. Brothers who you can trust, you can confide in. Confess your sins one to another and pray one for another, and you will be healed. Now, that may be slightly misquoted, but that's the essence of that verse. 
again, this is such an important reason for us to have confidential friends, brothers who we can trust, brothers who we can go to and say, this is what's going on in my life, man. I need you to pray for me. I'm confessing it as sin. And, and, and we need to be able, as a representation of Christ even, to speak forgiveness over them. It's powerful. We're all tempted. I mean, even Christ is tempted uh, during the wilderness experience. Now, if you find yourself really, really addicted in sin, in a particular sin, you need to get into a group that deals with that particular sin. Whether it's a drug addiction or alcohol addiction or pornography, there's NA, um, there's, there's Celebrate Recovery, there's a whole bunch of different ministries out there um, that together we're wrestling with this kind of stuff. And we can hold each other accountable, we can celebrate when we've made such and such a distance of time without having an issue with it. Um, I've just watched God do amazing things in people's lives that way. I would encourage you, particularly in the area of sin, um, it's good to have a few friends who are really black and white types. In other words, kind of like prophetic type guys. Um, not so much prophetic like I see this about you, although sometimes that's good too. <laughs> but but they just there's no gray in prophetic types. You know, it is, it's either this or it's this. And they'll just bluntly say, this, this is crap, guys. Why are you doing this? This is wrong. Um, I'm married to a prophet, which is good. Occasionally, it's a tough evening, but, you know, it's, I'm, I'm blessed by having her. And she's way smart, and she knows the word. And I, you know, going back to the, the past that I've had in terms of sexual relationship, temptation, uh, I'm so grateful to the Lord and to the friends who've brought me through. And there was a day not too long ago when my oldest daughter said to me, Dad, I want to thank you for being so faithful to, to Mom. And I have been. I've never fallen that way. The last question, who does God say you are? In this question, you need to, at times, go on a quest. This is kind of a lifelong search, but I would encourage you to begin to say, God, what do you see in me? Who am I? You know, Jesus, when he met Simon, he says, you are Peter, which is the rock. Simon actually literally meant shifting sands, which Peter carried out at times as well. But really, he was a foundational rock in the beginning of the church. And Jesus saw that, and he spoke it. Who does God say you are? I believe that all of us can hear from the Lord identification. It's a form of blessing that God will give us. Um, I, I would uh, take periodically, uh, over the years, I've taken four or five day breaks, gone up in the hills, stayed at a cabin, whatever, and just sought the Lord on different issues. And one particular time, I just said, God, give me one word that describes who I am. And he gave it to me. It's a priceless word for me. And I can look historically back in my life and go, 
yep, that's what happened there, and that's what I did there, and that's what God had me do there, and that's, and that's still the thing that excites me the most. And just to have that word, um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying everybody is going to get one, but I hope that you can. It's, it's worth it. Uh, it's something that we can receive from other people. My dad, of very few words, uh, one time looked at me. I was probably about 17 years old. And he goes, you're a people person. He says, I'm not. And he wasn't. He was very shy, very quiet, very steady, hard worker, um, a little grumpy at times. He had sundowners starting about 1 o'clock in the afternoon all his life. All of his kids knew if you ask him for something after 1 o'clock, he'll say no. But if you ask the same question at 7 o'clock in the morning, he'll say yes. Um, <laughs> but he said, you're a people person. And he was right. I am. Um, that was a form of blessing for my dad. So I'm going to close with this verse. You know, when Michael, when we were initially talking about this conference, um, I'm out working in my studio. I'm not really thinking about the conference. He calls. And he says, so what will we call this thing? And, uh, you know, I thought for a moment. And, and, and just these words popped in, sons of the Father. And I didn't know where I was going to go with that, but it just kind of clicked. I was like, this sounds good. And as, as time has gone by, um, that word has become more and more important to me. And, and I'm glad the Lord gave that. He called it that. Because we are sons of the Father. But we are sons of the Father in order that we can be better fathers. We are sons of the Father in order that we can be better brothers to each other. That the Father will pour his life into us whether we're biological fathers or not, we have the opportunity with Timothy's. We have the opportunity to have spiritual sons, spiritual daughters for that matter. Keep your eyes open for what God's going to do in that. But the Father has to be invested in us in such a way that we can authentically father others. And Jesus has to invest in us in such a way again, coming in sense through the Father, that we can be brothers with wisdom that is not of our own wisdom, with words that are not of our own words, with encouragements that are not of our own minds, uh, with giving that is not normally of us, with courage and boldness that is not normally originally with us. Uh, all of this stuff flows from the Father into the Son, Jesus, and into us as his sons. Now, if you struggle with how true is what I'm saying, I want to close with this, John 20. This is uh, following the crucifixion of Jesus. I'm going to back up just for a hair for a moment here. and uh, uh, It's actually John 19. Let me read this to you. Because this is so, to me, so profound says, verse 38, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews. Josephus, by the way, or Joseph, was a very wealthy man. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, 
Remember Nicodemus from chapter 3? Of the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body. The two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. There was in accordance with that this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Listen to this. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, brothers, I'm glad that they laid them there. I'm glad they were in a rush. But I tell you, it is the plan of God. Because we fell in the garden... We were given dominance in the garden. We were created in the garden, male and female. And we fell in the garden. And Jesus is resurrected in the garden. And it's full circle around. And what comes up next? Well, Mary goes there to, Mary Magdalene goes there with a couple of the women to, to further uh, put more uh, herbs and spices and so on and just really finish up what had not quite been completed on Friday. They're, they're there on Sunday morning early to, to take care of that. They're not afraid of anybody. You know, women are, are, they're fearless. When there's brokenness around, women will go to brokenness. Look who's at the cross. It's the women. John's there, but it's mostly the women. They're fearless with brokenness. And so they go there and, and uh, recognize that the body's not there. So they run back and they tell, Mary tells the disciples, and Peter and John, they're, they're going. Peter and, and John run to the tomb, and, and John's a little younger, and he's running faster, and he gets there first. But Peter, man, I mean, John doesn't go in the tomb. Peter, you know, Peter. <laughs> Peter goes right on in, and he looks around, and sure enough, there's no body in the tomb. And then John walks in, and he looks too, and he sees the, the linens that had wrapped Jesus, and he sees the, the head wrappings that are all folded and set aside. And it, and it says they believed, but it doesn't say exactly what they believed. In fact, it says they believed that the body was not there. So then Mary comes, uh, and, and looks in, and there's angels now. Huh, no angels there for Peter and John, but for Mary Magdalene. There's two angels, one at the head, one at the foot. And the angels uh, ask her, they say, uh, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I, I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. See, in our resurrected body, which is physical, we don't look exactly the same. Praise God! You know? I, I can, I mean, you know, when you see me next, I'm going to be about 6'5, buff, and lots of hair. Woman, he said, 
Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. To me, that's part of who does God say that you are. I believe that when I finally see Jesus, when I finally go home, Jesus isn't going to look at me and say, Oh, it's the potter. Oh, it's the pastor from Salida. He's going to say, Dave. Because that's my name. It's not what I've done. It's who I am. It's who he says that I am. And, and <laughs> she turned toward him, cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says, do not hold on to me. I mean, I, it doesn't say it in here, but I, I'm sorry. This is a passionate woman. She has leaped around him. She's got her hands around the back of his neck. I lost you once. I ain't losing you again. That's how I see it. That's my interpretation. But uh, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Now, now may I point out something here? Is this not beautiful? It's not the men that Jesus reveals himself to first. In the garden, he reveals himself first to a woman. Yes, first to sin, Eve, but first to be redeemed. Full circle, in the garden. And I believe with that, Jesus has issued redemption to all women that they may fill out whatever the calling of God is in their lives. But this is what's coming up next is for us. Do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers. Linger with that for a moment. Because this is part of who you are. This is part of who God says you are. Do you notice that, that in his first words, resurrected, he doesn't say, here I am. Told you. I'm alive. That's what we celebrate on resurrection, which is good. Resurrection day, we, we celebrate that he's conquered death. He's alive, which is great to celebrate. But what was important to Jesus there is a new calling of who we are. You know, this book is summed up in three words. Creation, fall, redemption. Creation, fall is three pages of the Bible. Maybe five, but it's real short. The rest of the whole book is the story of God redeeming his people to himself. The relationship that was lost in the garden, he now wants to redeem. So what is exciting to Jesus? Go and tell my brothers. You see, first the disciples were followers. 
and they were disciples. Then in a sense they were servants. Then at the Last Supper Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. You see, it keeps elevating. But now he can say, go tell my brothers. Now for any of you right now who are going, oh, yeah, you don't know about my life. <laughs> Consider who he's talking about right now. He's talking about Peter, who's denied him three times. He's talking about Thomas, who's going to say, I don't believe until I touch the hole on the side. He's talking about all the guys who are in hiding, scared to death because of what might happen to them because they're associated with Jesus. When are they going to get crucified? Scared to death. Are these great men of faith? No. Go and tell my brothers. Which Jesus says, I don't care what you've done. Because you have believed. Because of what I've done on the cross. You are now my brothers. Fully my brothers. Is he our Lord? Absolutely. Is he our king? Absolutely. But we are brothers to the king. Which means we walk with an authority. We walk with gifting. We walk with truth. We walk with an abundant love. We walk with healing. We walk with the power to cast out demons. We walk and run a course marked out for us as brothers of Christ. And then he goes on further. He says, go to my my brothers, and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The most amazing parting of the waters has taken place right here. Now, the Father is our Father. Christ walked the, the earth. The Father was his Father. Now as brothers of Christ, by the blood of Christ, he is my Father. He is your Father. We have direct relationship with him. He is my God through Christ. He is your God through Christ. And from that posture, Jesus could meet with his disciples and send them to Jerusalem, Judea, to all the sections of the world to preach the good news, to declare the kingdom of God is at hand. And so it is with us. This is who God truly says you are. May you hear the words in the future straight from heaven. Father, I ask that right now in Christ's name. That each individual here at some point in their lives 
I would ask sooner than later, would hear from you personally, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased.